your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast, where our guest today is Björn Lasse Hermann. Björn was born in Germany and has become a recognized entrepreneur and expert on data products for businesses, performance benchmarking, and business ecosystems. Most recently, his team and him set out to decrease the massive failure rates of businesses by transforming the business world from instinct-driven to data-driven. The first product, Compass.co, now serves thousands of e-commerce businesses around the world. And Bjorn tells us, and he takes us by the hand from um, Germany to Russia to Bangladesh to the United States and probably back a couple of times as well. It's all about startups, so if you're interested in startups, it's a must to listen to interview. Let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Bjorn. How are you? I'm doing great. Okay. That sounds very enthusiastic. Is it, is it early morning where you are? Yes, it's uh, 9.08. 9.08. Okay. But for a startup, that, that should actually be late, no? Uh, not really. Actually, most startups uh, get, um, uh, you know, start pretty late. So at 10 or 11. Um, they start late, but they keep on working long as well. Exactly. Okay. But uh, yeah, I come to office usually um, earlier. All right. We have a, a Björn Lasse Hermann. That doesn't sound very American, although I think you're somewhere on the West Coast of the United States. Why don't you take a moment and tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, um, where you're now, and what would be your cultural frame of reference? In other words, what is your cultural experience that you have? Um. Well, I'm, you're right. I, I'm not from the US. I, I am in San Francisco right now. Um, okay. in, so the, the global startup, uh, hub. Um, and, uh, uh, but I grew up in the very south of Germany at the border to Switzerland and Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, in a little village called Salem, which is at the bottom of the Alps and, uh, right next to the Lake of Constance. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've come here probably seven years ago and, uh, I've been working in startups and currently I'm running a, a, a tech company, yeah. um, that you could, you know, maybe best describe as a, um, as a doctor for businesses, um, a physical so, doctor and a medical doctor, not so a physical, for business, but, for a, business. But, a, yeah. but a software doctor. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, a company signs up with us and then we provide benchmarks and, recommendations and industry insights and yeah so yeah i mean that's uh, and i would say my cultural frame of reference is um you know having grown up in germany uh, i would say but uh, i've lived in um you know multiple places uh in the us and uh, russia um in bangladesh um, and then obviously traveled quite a bit. So that's quite diverse. I mean, that's quite a difference as well. In Russia, Bangladesh, that, that, that not, not many people go and work there when it comes to organizations or startups, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, that, that wasn't for startups, right? Oh, okay. in, in, in Russia, I, I, uh, worked, uh, in a kind of mid-sized marketing firm and in Bangladesh, I, I did a nonprofit. So, okay. 
Yeah. And um, you say you're from the south of Germany. Does, does that make you Bavarian? Uh, no, um, it's there's two states in the south. There's Bavaria, and then there's also Baden-Württemberg, yeah. uh, which is uh, the state uh, you know towards France. Um, and, and yeah, so um, I grew up in that state, but Bavaria is uh, you know 40 minutes away from where I grew up. I, so. I could have I could have known, I guess, because if, if you say that you're from Germany, and I, I think any German that says he's from Germany is not from Bavaria, because then they would say, "No, I'm from Bavaria. I'm not from Germany." It's <laughs> like yeah. an isolated part in uh, in Germany. Well, yeah, I would. I mean, I I'm also my family is is from you know all across Germany, so uh -huh. I don't really identify specifically with the region where I grew up. Um, you know, my family moved there because um, of work, but not. Uh, Because we, you know, have family there. So, yeah. um, we'll talk about your company, your current company. I think is called Compass. Compass.co, Compass.co, not dot yeah. com, but dot co. So don't add yeah. that M. That's important to know. Exactly. The dot com was too expensive. So yeah, we, I can imagine. Yeah, I figured something must, chopped, must have been the reason. Yeah, we chopped off a piece. So. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an idea as well. But I guess a lot of people would would mistype it then and would always go for the com, the, the com. Yeah, that's true. Extension. Anyways, just before we moved on to that and startups as such, you've worked, you said, in um, uh, in Germany, in Bangladesh, United States, Russia as well. And how do they, how do they differ from each other from a cultural perspective, if you can, if you can say that? Um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously huge uh, cultural differences. I mean, um, a stark difference for me was when I moved from Russia to the US, mm -hmm. um, and you know, Russia is. Depends a little bit also on which industry you work, right? So I worked in an industry kind of big company, uh, more um, kind of traditional, right? Not startup land, which also is you know more similar in Moscow than it is here. But generally speaking, you know the the cultural difference I experienced is that uh, um, uh, in Russia, you know, you very much have to be kind of tough guy and. Um, you know, almost inside, you know, your way through, um, uh, you know, negotiations. Um, it tough? Do you mean like a bully? Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of, you know, stand up for yourself and, yeah. and, and be really aggressive versus, um, you know, in the US it, or specifically in Silicon Valley, it's kind of almost the opposite, right? You want to be um, like very friendly and, and, and not try to incite people or, or be sort of politically incorrect. So that's something, um, you know, that there was really a big difference. Yep. Um, and then of course, you know, uh, I mean, I experienced Bangladesh from a very different point of view because I, you know, did a nonprofit. So I worked, uh, I didn't work in a kind of a environment where the goal was to make money, mm -hmm. um, but was more to help people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, there uh, I experienced, um, I would say the, the sort of the biggest memory is the cultural differences of the people who came to help um, versus the people who were there yeah. and, and, and how, you know, incompetent, like, um, so how there was a really a, a big gap between those people, right? So... Um, you know, even though many of the help organizations come there really want to, to help those people, mm -hmm. they have most of the time really hard time engaging with the local population, right? And what ha ends up happening is, 
and I was very surprised by that. But uh, uh, you know, when when you get there, the all these big um, you know nonprofits that you hear of, all the people on the ground, they're kind of hiding in these you know different clubs, the yep. international club, the you know British club, the yep. German club, yep. etc. And um, uh, in you know hiding away from the rest of the population because they're so overwhelmed and, and really have a hard time um, engaging with people on the ground because there's so many differences, right? And yeah, so yeah, I mean I've seen a lot of different um, uh, you know uh, cultural yeah. frame of reference. What 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 worked? Which country worked best or works best for you? Um. Well, you know, I love to get things done. Mm -hmm. So I do enjoy, um, you know, being in San Francisco a lot. And, uh, and because, you know, everything is very close. Everything is, is very efficient. Um, people are very reside oriented. Yeah. It's very much a, a trust based, um, culture where people, you know, don't spend time on, uh, sort of on things that don't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's really based on, you know, pe based on performance, right? So you, you get a, you get a shot, um, you always get a shot. Uh, but then in the end, what matters is if you do good, you know, you respect for that. Yeah. And, and it's not because you come from a certain, um, you know, family or, or circle of, you know, friends or something like that. And mm -hmm. um, that's something that's much less, um, you know, important than, it is a, you know, in Russia. Yeah. Um, so, and then yeah. with your, with your German background being the, um, uh, the, 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 the square German, the always on time German, the Grundlichkeit und die Punktlichkeit, is that something that and the Americans are not like that? They're more like loose. And I would say even typically on the West coast, is that something that bothers you being a German? Um, I mean, it's always relative, right? I mean, compared again, I mean, compared to Russia or, or, or other places, um, the Pünktlichkeit here is certainly much better. Um, but, uh, um, I mean, you know, really people here, uh, in within the startup space are very professional and, and they're usually on time and, and, you know, you don't have, uh, uh, really a laissez-faire attitude. People are actually pretty, um, uh, Nah, how do you say that? You know, concerned about the time and they want to make the most of it, right? So yeah. you actually um, have, I would say, more than in Germany, um, the, uh, you know, people valued their time a lot. Yeah, so it's, it's, that, time is money. That, that's a, that's a strong concept. So that means you know, really in practice, that people you know will do a twenty-minute meeting or you know a thirty-minute meeting versus a ninety-minute meeting, right? Where um, in Germany, you, you know, would take your time, you get to know the person, right? There's yeah. a, is a different way of, of also building the relationship, whereas here it's much more kind of like, get, let's get the deal done and let's move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, is something that, um, uh, it's difficult for some people to, to get adjusted to, but, uh, it certainly allows you to move yeah. much faster. Yeah. 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 That's true. Uh, your your current situation is is um, or your location in San Francisco. Are you in in uh, the, the the Bay Area or the city itself or Silicon Valley? Um, I've lived um, in both. So I've lived down in, in the South Bay in Palo Alto, um, mm -hmm. but 
and right now I'm living in San Francisco. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. And nice, nice city, very much. Um, and you're running a startup called uh, Compass. And talking about startups in general, then more specifically about about your company, what? Why are startups so hot? What What's the thing? If you're not a startup, you don't seem to count anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know if that's if that's true because I guess I'm within the startup bubble, so I I don't have the outside view. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, you know, I think the reason why startups are hot is because they are transforming our society, right? And they're driving a a really a socioeconomic structural shift, mm-hmm. and that has been going on for a while, and that you know will continue going on for. You know, the next 10, 15 years, we're really what we're seeing currently is a, is a big shift, um, as Deloitte calls it, uh, from um, the service industry to the uh, you know to software, where many of the the jobs that you know today are being done by people um, are you know being done by software, right? And obviously that, that starts off with very simple tasks. Yeah. You know, it can be something like in the you know commerce space where you know more of the checkout is being done by software and by machine and by machines. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also it can be more complicated things, right? And and for example, with our business, right, really what we're doing is we're replacing the work that usually would be done by an analyst, right? So we're cleaning yeah. data, we're you know creating uh, you know uh, benchmarks that you know usually would be done by a person an analyst inside a business or by a consultant who would come from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, this is now, you know, more complex work, which is repeatable, right? But yeah. it's usually being done today by someone who's very educated. Um, and this kind of work now is also being uh, replaced uh, by software. I call those type of companies data refineries, right? What Because what they do is they, you know, take this volume of data, which is available now, right? Which yeah. was not available in the past. And they're applying, you know, a set of algorithms and, and then creating some kind of output hmm. um, and create value in that process, right? So, um, and, and so, you know, my kind of, you know, uh, prediction is that half of what today's service industry is going to move into software over the next 10 to 15 years, which is a massive shift, hmm. right? Where, Today, the biggest value generation is happening within the service sector. And so now imagine, you know, a big part of that will be moving away, right? Now, this means a lot of people that are today, you know, in the service sector that believe that, you know, they have safe jobs will be losing their jobs, right? So people, um, you know, doctors, accountants, lawyers, you know, people that have are very well educated. Um, so that's, you know, it, that will be tough. Um, but at the same time, obviously, you know, as we build those companies, we also democratize the access to resources that, uh, you know, previously, um, you know, not everyone had access to right now. Imagine, you know, we automate part of the diagnostics that would be done today by a doctor and, and by doing that would give access, um, you know, to simple diagnostics to everyone around the world with a smartphone, right? So that's really incredible and, and, and is, you know, great for, for especially the bottom of the pyramid. Um, but it also means that obviously people that uh, today, you know, are doing these things will not be doing them in the future. Yep. So if, if you'd be a visionary, we've, we've seen industry move to service, service move to software. What's after this? Um, 
Well, I mean, I think what I'm just, what I just described is fairly certain. Um, and you know, because that's happening already. It's happening already. Exactly. So I think beyond that, obviously it's very, it's just speculation, right? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of things happening in biotech and nanotech and that can really revolution, uh, revolutionize the way of how, you know, our bodies work, how we think, how we process information, how we live, etc. So, um, you know, there's certainly, um, you know, something that people talk about here is kind of that, uh, um, uh, transhumanism, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't say movement, but group of people that, um, you know, believe in <clears throat> the singularity, kind of the unity of, of man and, and machine. Yeah. Um, you know, we're essentially, uh, as, as technology advances, um, you know, we'll integrate more and more technology in our bodies until we kind of merge with uh, technology. And I mean, that's kind of a, a future vision, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't know if that's, that's sure, going to happen in that, in that way, but that certainly would, would change, um, the way of how our society would operate because people would live much, much longer. And, you know, we would have processing power, you know, in our bodies that, you know, might exceed, um, you know, large data centers that we have today. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, you know, there's incredible things that might happen, but yeah. we will see, you know, we are certainly not in the, you know, most stable political situation globally, right. Who knows what's going to happen. That's true. Um, also in, in other areas, right. Um, and, and that might obviously also, uh, change our trajectory with respect to, uh, you know, structural changes sure. and, and technological and economic development. Yeah. Now you said you, you couldn't quite answer the question why startups are so hot. The thing is, uh, pretty much every publication, uh, I, I see around me here, uh, but also internationally, it's, it's, there's a lot to do about startups and, and. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the reason why startups are so hot is because they're changing the world around us, yeah. right? And because they impact all of our lives and we see how our lives are changing every day, right? We see how we we switch from, you know, using taxi to using Lyft and Uber, right? We see how, you know, we, um, you know, move, uh, you know, and use whatever text messaging services and, and all kinds of uh, you know, things on our smartphone that, that, uh, uh, become really center point of our life. Right. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's why, um, it's so hot, right. It touches our lives and, and everyone feels it and notices. And, yeah. Right? And there's so much yeah. to gain and so much, so, so much is gained already. And, and then typically when you talk about startups being hot or startups in general, I would say, what does, what does San Francisco or the Silicon Valley or the, the Bay Area or maybe the, the American West Coast, why has that such an advantage or such a lead over, I don't know, cities like St. Petersburg in, in Russia in, or, or Bangkok in Thailand or, I don't know, Shanghai or something like that? Why is it happening there? Yeah. Um, well, you know, there is a, in some of the research that we've been doing in the past, right? I mean, one of the things that is very clear is that one of the strongest driver of startups is successful startups, yeah. right? So there's, there's kind of an inertia, right? That is created and that becomes really powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that you can't easily reproduce, obviously, right? So one Google creates a lot of new 
you know, possible Googles, right? Yeah. And a Facebook creates a lot of new possible Facebooks, right? Because you have people, you have money, you have experience, you have things that, um, you know, and you have excitement, you know, with these, with people who were at those companies or were part of these companies in some way, right? Who then go on and start, um, the next, uh, you know, startups. So that's certainly, you know, something that, <clears throat> um, makes this, region very powerful and will continue to, to, you know, uh, sort of keep its momentum. I think beyond that, um, you know, the, um, the re one reason why, uh, this place continues to be, uh, a hotspot globally is because, um, it brings the best, um, of the best together from around the world, right? So more than half of the founders, in the valley are immigrants, right? The people who come from other parts of the world mm -hmm. to start their companies here, right? And then the remaining, you know, sort of Americans here are from all over the U.S., yeah. right? Um, and then more than seventy percent of the engineers, right, are immigrants. Yeah. So you have, I mean, you see very quickly, right, the makeup of the people who are actually driving this ecosystem forward are people from all around the world, mm -hmm. right? And I would say one of the actually limiting factors of this place here right now is the immigration policy um, in the U.S. and that maybe, you know, this ecosystem might grow even faster and be more powerful if immigration uh, would accommodate, mm -hmm. um, you know, more people coming sure. here. Right now it is capped, you know, the visa, um, uh, the work visa have, have limits, right? Um, so there's only a certain amount of people that are allowed to come into the country. They exceed it, you know, every year, four or five times, right? So there is a, um, uh, there's really a, a pull into this region, yeah. um, which, you know, is not being satisfied. And that's actually why um, many companies here today um, are starting second offices in other places in the U.S., but more, you know, around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, which you know leads to which leads to second offices in Berlin, in St. Petersburg, in um, you know in Brussels, and in you know other other <clears throat> sort of emerging startup hubs, um, because we just cannot get enough people here, yeah. right? To to really physically, yeah. um, physically to to feed the need um, of talent, right? In, in, in your opinion, Björn, is, what factor does culture sp play a role in, um, facilitating, fostering startups? Because it, it starts in the US and now only because physical limitations are there, people are doing something comparable in Barcelona and St. Petersburg and cities around the world. Is, is there a, a cultural component here? Um, Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, <clears throat> you know, the way how I would describe it is that in every country you have a certain type of person, right? Yeah. And there's, you know, a certain percentage in the population that have kind of that, that disposition of, of being entrepreneurial, of being open for innovation, excited about innovation, wanting to, you know, make a difference in the world and so forth. Right. And, uh, The, what you have here in the valley is that you have a critical mass of these people. So you have so many people who 
you know, who are like this, who are coming together here, that they create this very special environment, right? And, um, you know, obviously the, the U.S. as a country that kind of has a tradition of, of bringing those type of people together, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, uh, seems like a natural place to, you know, for, for a place like Silicon Valley to emerge. But really... Um, you know, it's not necessarily something that is limited to the country, um, you know, uh, the, the U.S. As, as a country, but um, it's more a, uh, you know, a, a certain type of mindset mm-hmm. of people that, um, really, that really matters here, right? And you find those people all over the world, right? And, and how, are, how would you describe this typical yeah. mindset then? What is, what, what, what's the necessity what is necessary, uh, sorry? Um, <clears throat> well, you know, I think uh, there's different ways of, of how this can come out, but essentially, you know, it's people who are, um, uh, you know, who are open for risk, right? Who are really excited about building something, creating something, who, um, you know, are different than other people who are, you know, maybe might be described as freaks, you know, within their society, yeah. right? And we're going to break the mold. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, growing up in the south of Germany, which is a very conservative area, right, um, I I never felt quite at home, right? Mm-hmm. But one kind of the, one of the first thoughts that I had when I first came here, um, and I've been here for, you know, a couple of months, it's like I feel like I just came home because I just have so many people around me that uh, – really share, you know, my, um, my passion for creating something, for making a difference, for, you know, for having a vision that, you know, for a business or for a movement or for something, right. That, that I want to work towards. So, um, and who can share that passion, right. And who can contribute to it and, and, uh, who have an empathy, uh, you know, for each other, um, uh, with that passion. So that's something that, um, you know, is what makes this area unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I do believe that, you know, you can create that same, same kind of environment in other places if you can bring these people together and you yeah. can give them a, a, self, a, you know, a place where they can uh, feel at home. So right? basically you're creating, creating uh, like, um, I say tiny cultures within a culture that uh, share the professional outlook like you just described. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's really a mindset, right? Yeah. It's not even necessarily professional, right? I mean, you have people who are, you know, geeks who love to build stuff and create things, right? You have people who have really kind of, uh, you know, might be more kind of non-profit people, but who also want to make a difference to the world, right? You have people who, um, you know, just, um, you know, don't fit in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um you know, the, all all these people find a home in that, yeah. um, uh, you know, in that world. So, and you know, you find you see that already. Obviously, right? You see that you have in, in Berlin and in Brussels also, to you know, some degree in in London and Tel Aviv and in Paris, right? You have those those pockets of people um, that found each other, yeah. and so you have a kind of community and and ecosystem that is emerging right on in all these places so it's really not you know there's no monopoly to it uh, you know for for silicon valley yeah. um 
just right now the pull and the gravitational you know power of of Silicon Valley is certainly the strongest, right? So yeah. everyone who is in Berlin will you know come at least once a year. They yeah. you know will come to sort of pilger <laughs> to yeah. you know to the valley. It's, it's um, still the place to be. Yeah, and not the other way around. Even though that might change, right? So yeah. Now, who's yeah. the runner-up next to uh, after Silicon Valley? <clears throat> well. Um, right now, so we've done an, an ecosystem report uh, where we looked at, you know, what are the top ecosystems around the world. Yeah. Um, and sort of excluding uh, China, um, you know, which is a place that we just couldn't collect enough data on mm-hmm. to really have a sort of a, a good opinion on. Um, you know, New York is the run up for, uh, you know, after Silicon Valley, it's really kind of, um, you know, a place that has, um, emerged very quickly over the last couple of years, right? Which, you know, was surprising for many people considering that Boston, for example, has always been you know, the second to, or, you know, been fighting, you know, for the, for the first place with, with Silicon Valley. In, yeah. Stanford you know, 20, and Harvard. Yeah. 20 years ago. Um, but really New York has, has, uh, you know, been able to capture, um, that talent, right. That we just spoke about, um, and bring them. Uh, sort of give them a home, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so New York certainly is is uh, the run-up. Um, and generally, you know, the U.S. overall has a number of those places, right? You have you have San Francisco or the Bay Area, right? So it's San Francisco um, and the South Bay. Um, you have uh, um, New York, you have Boston, you have Seattle, you have Austin, um you know, you have pockets in Philadelphia and Atlanta. Um, so, you know, in, in Portland, in, of, of course, LA, right? LA and uh, Orange County. So um, there's really, you know, a lot of that happening here, right? It's, so, it's yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the, you're, you're, you're t- you just mentioned the, um, the ecosystem reports that you, that you wrote about that. And that's something that your company does, right? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, what I got from your website as well is that the initial, um, the compass, the compass.co, that's C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot C-O, um, your motivation to do this is that so many of, so many startups fail and you wanted to do something about that. Now, before you explain what your company does, can you explain to me why so many of these companies fail? And how they're being treated after their failure, for instance, in the United States versus maybe in Germany. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, you have a difference in the perception of failure and, and how people treat you, you yeah. know, with um, your failure, right? I think um, in uh, here, or in particular in, you know, those ecosystems, right? Um so from these safe havens for entrepreneurs, um, failure, you know, is not seen necessarily negative, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an experience and, and, uh, and usually you don't necessarily, you know, you want to learn from your, your mistakes, obviously, and, and see what you can do better, uh-huh. right? Um, and, and that's something that, you know, um, really makes, makes a good entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you want to look forward, right, and, and see how you can build the next company. Yeah. So, 
And there's certainly, you know, I mean, we all know that, right? Growing up in, in other parts of the world, yes. that there's, there's a stigma um, around um, failure, right? There's no, I mean, there's no question about that. And, and a lot of people, you know, are afraid of, of um, being stigmatized, right? And that's why they, they don't break out um, of uh, sort of traditional, mm-hmm. uh, you know, professional trajectories, right? Where you kind of being pressed into, um, you know, going to whatever university, getting a job, getting a house, getting a dog and a car, right? And yeah. and that's it, right? So that's, um, and, and this is really, uh, you know, something that you just don't have here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots, much, much less indeed. And compass.co is, is, um, the company that you're, that you started, that you're running right now. Worldwide, people are using it. And so what does it do? What, what can people get out of this? Yeah. So, I mean, so we're doing some research and, and, uh, our, the research we did, um, with startups in particular, looking at, you know, why they succeed and why they fail really inspired the um, software we built, yeah. Compass. Um, and you know, the, one of the sort of key findings from our research was that um, most startups fear not because of competition, but because of self-destruction. And what that means is that they essentially very efficiently execute that necessary, right? So they do things that later on turn out to be irrelevant. And so the reason they, they do, do stuff that's irrelevant. Um, they do things that, that, um, is irrelevant. And in that moment, you know, they don't realize that it's irrelevant, right? It kind yeah. of retroactively, retroactively, they were not, okay, this was really a waste of our time. Yeah. Um, and money. Um, and so as we look at that problem, we thought, okay, maybe there's a way to help people realize earlier, you know, what is a waste of time yeah. and money. And we found that one, way to do that would be to provide them with uh, reference points um, on metrics to for you to be better able to interpret the signals you're getting from the market right uh-huh. so what this means say you have a product right um, and uh, you know there's a certain retention people come back on a certain you know um, uh, you know Frequency. certain amount of certain amount of times yeah. you know a month or a week um, to use your product right yeah and the big question is well what indicates um, that they really like your product, right? Um, how many people, you know, should be coming back? How often should they be coming back? Uh-huh. And how much time should they be spending, right? And so as you look at these data, right, for most people, right, they will not know. It's like, okay, they, you know, it goes up, it goes down, but I don't, I'm not sure if, if this means that we're on the right path or not, right? right. Yeah. Um, so this is where, you know, providing benchmarks, or giving you reference points, you know, can be very, very powerful because they help you understand, you know, whether you are on the right path, um, you know, with respect to your product or with respect to your acquisition, right? When we look at, okay, you know, what are your acquisition costs, right? Yeah. Is that, is that good, you know, or is yeah. that bad? Um, so that's, that's kind of where we started off and we built a, you know, pretty simple prototype in the beginning that, um, that, uh, uh, you know, with, with which we acquired more than 34,000 uh, companies globally. Wow. And so we saw, okay, there's a demand for, for this kind of information. Yeah. And um, so, you know, from that kind of, you know, simple prototype, which was essentially a survey that you filled out and then we had a classification algorithm that sort of provided you with then with the respective benchmarks uh-huh. and uh, recommendations, we now build a, build a new product that, sort of takes that a step further mm-hmm. 
and uh, does not provide you just provide you with um, those benchmarks, but actually, um, you know, plugs in directly into your data feeds, so into your Google Analytics, into your Stripe and PayPal, so in your in your transactional data, in your uh, web data, and um, your um, acquisition data, right? And then pulls all these data together and and essentially prepares uh, reports for you and uh, prepares benchmarks you know, on top of your data that are real time, right? And then gives you um, recommendations that go as far as saying, okay, here, this is what you should fix in order to increase your revenue by $100,000 every month. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really bringing the, um, you know, the exec- executives, the business leaders, very, very close to making a decision, uh, which is something, you know, where today... Um, so if data-driven decision-making fails many times because people look at the data, they're overwhelmed. They don't really know what the consequences and what kind of decision they should be making yeah. because there's just so much analysis required in order to get to some kind of conclusion. And your so system we, actually makes that analysis for them. Exactly. So what we're doing is, you know, based on the historical data of the company, based on the benchmarks that we're seeing from other similar businesses, right? Mm-hmm. We can say, here's a lever for your business, right? This conversion rate is something that you can improve. Yeah. And this, and by improving, you know, you uh, will be able to increase your revenue by 20%, right? And that has, you know, by far the, the biggest impact or the, yeah. the, you know, the biggest impact on your business. So that's, that's the kind of, you know, recommendations that we're giving. Yeah. Um, you know, right now we're, you know, mostly growing within the e-commerce space. Yeah. Um, so even though we started off with kind of the broader tech, you know, startup space right now, actually the vertical, which, which is growing the, the fastest on our application is, is e-commerce. Yeah. Um, Makes good sense as well. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's exciting. It's, it's really exciting to see that, you know, we've been able to, to build a product that can really, you know, empower um, people to make better decisions. And uh, now, you know, we're not just working with um, sort of the, the, the startup folks, but we're also working with, you know, a lot of offline retailers, people, producers that suddenly, you know, they go online they want to start selling um, their product online, but they don't really know how to to work the online world, right? And we can, with Compass, really empower them to understand their own data yep. and, and and to drive growth and be successful um, with their business online. Does this does this work internationally? I mean, technically, of course, it does. But do different different countries, cultures, if you want, because culture is the the the, the main topic here, of course. Is that do um, does that work in different countries as well? Do people look at the same data? Do you have any idea about that? <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there's some differences, and we try to factor those in as we're you know creating um, the like benchmarks, reference points um, for different businesses. Yeah, um, but you know, the for many, I mean. And many, uh, you know, the the online world obviously opens doors for everyone to not just sell in their own, um, you know, country, um, but to sell globally, right? Yeah, of course. So what really happens is that, you know, maybe people start off selling in the US or only selling, in, you know, in Germany, but then they very quickly sort of start seeing, oh, wow, you know, I'm getting, you know, um, yeah. Bias from, from, somewhere, yes. from somewhere else, yeah. right? And then yeah. they like, realize, wow, there's, you know, this 
global market, which is really awaiting me, right? And and obviously, specifically, you know, the US and Europe, you know, have a lot of similarities, right? Australia. So generally, the kind of Western, you know, market, you have a lot of similarities with respect to the type of products people want, yeah. um, right? And uh, um, so, you know, in the e-commerce space, we can see, right, people very quickly start selling all over the place. I mean, but the same goes in, it, in the in the tech space, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, software products are fairly, um, you know, they can be used anywhere. Obviously, there is diff- there's clearly, you know, in some areas, there's differences because of certain regulations, mm-hmm. financial regulations, or sometimes you have, you know, you have cultural differences with respect to um, how people like to pay, right? So you right. have very different payment methods in different countries, yeah. right? A lot of people don't trust credit cards yet in, you know, countries like uh, Russia or, or in a lot of the Southeast Asian countries. Uh-huh. And so you need to find kind of proxies to, to be able to allow people to actually pay for your products online. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, do you have anything from, you know, prepaid cards to, um, uh, you know, to, um, using Bitcoin or something else, right? I mean, there's like a lot of alternative ways of yeah. of uh, making um, <clears throat> payments, and so in, and so in some areas, you can certainly see that you know cultural uh, differences um, do you know influence the the buying behavior or or the ways of how companies will sell in those countries, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, on on that topic, on why they actually are, uh, on where and how and why they're different, we need to come back on that topic. It's um, I'm looking at the clock here, and we've been talking for close to forty minutes, more or less. So I'd like to uh, um, to move towards the end and ask you the question that I ask every um, guest on this podcast: is Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? Um. Well, I think. What's most important to, you know, become culturally more competent or really to embrace, you know, other cultures is to, um, you know, open yourself up to those cultures, to engage with them and, and, uh, to accept them as, you know, what they are. Um, engage, yes. And, uh, I mean, you know, this is for me the, um, um, you know, it means not being judgmental, right? And, um, sort of being having a curious mind and um, you know really being interested in, in in you know why certain things are the way they are mm-hmm. right and uh, I think with that kind of mindset you you know will be able to um, overcome culture barriers and uh, you know really find fast you know be fascinated about other cultures and, and enjoy those differences. Is, is is that one tip or is that like a combined uh, three and uh, three and one tip? Uh, well, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's combined. I guess. I mean, <laughs> maybe if I think about it more, I can start structuring it out into multiple, um, you know, sections. But for that's, I mean, just kind of came, you know, from from yeah. my personal experience, you know, working in in, in Bangladesh and then Russia and you know, places that are quite different, right? That um, you know, for me, I naturally kind of came in with that kind of mindset and yeah. that opened a lot of doors for me and, uh, um, made me enjoy, uh, you know, those places a lot. Yeah. And I've seen that, you know, people who did not come in that way, um, and, um, you know, who were kind of upset about these, you know, other cultures not meeting their own cultural norms, right. Uh-huh. And that, that, that often, 
uh, you know, led to them closing up and, and actually, you know, engaging less and, and uh, sort of protecting themselves in some way, I guess, from, uh, um, I don't know, maybe from the outside cultural influence. But that's, um, uh, yeah, I think that's obviously dangerous. And, you know, we have that big challenge now with with all the refugees coming into, into Europe, right? Yes. Um, you know, there is a cultural gap, obviously, right? But the only way we can overcome it is by, you know, sort of being open to um, learning about their cultures and, and understanding, you know, why certain things are the way they are and and, uh, um, and be accepting about it. Yeah, good point. Good, um, good, nice, nice uh, round ending to this. Bjorn, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Um, well, they can... Uh, uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is... Uh, Bjorn Lasse, it's B J O E R N L A S S E, and you know if there's, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm LinkedIn. dot uh, slash in slash Bjorn Lasse, so same handle as my as my Twitter. Yeah. And uh, you know if they really want to talk to me, then they can, <laughs> then they can contact you, and then you can introduce us. Okay. <laughs> Of course. I'll put my own email address then there. All right. Those uh, way of getting in touch with Bjorn will be on the uh, on the website, culturematters.com. Just click on the podcast tab and you'll um, see them all unfolding. Bjorn, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I hope it's sunny there in San Francisco. Um, and- it is. It is beautiful, actually. Yeah, wow. we have a, a. It almost feels like spring right okay. now. So, yeah. well, enjoy the the weather. Enjoy the weekend, the upcoming weekend as well. And thanks so much for taking the time again. Like I said, and I'm pretty sure we'll talk to each other again in the future. Great. All right. Bye-bye. 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 Bye. Thanks again, Bjorn, for this interview and taking the time. Like I said earlier as well. It's, um, it's been very interesting and uh, the show notes are there to be found on culturematters.com. As I said before, just click on the podcast tab and you'll find uh, several podcasts that might be worth listening to as well. If you like what I do when it comes to podcasting, then um, I would really appreciate a rating in iTunes or what you could also do is connect with me on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com slash culturemattershq. So facebook.com slash culture matters hq that's the url otherwise go to the search box in um, in facebook and search for culture matters and you'll find something there which represents this culture matters all right well that's it thank you again for listening i'll be back in two weeks time with yet another interview it was good having you here thank you bye-bye that's it for this episode The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.